You're listening to the Beauty Brain Show, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry. host, cosmetic chemist Perry Romanowski, and with me today is my former boss and now <laughs> blogging partner in crime, Randy Schuler. Hey, Randy. It's embarrassing. Don't bring that up. Oh, yeah. I remember the days. Boy, you were you were hard as nails there. <laughs> but, but boy, you ran a tight ship. Ah, <laughs> oh, the nostalgia. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Remember the days when we used to break at 3 o'clock and shoot... Waste. <laughs> we shoot uh, tissue paper into a waste basket. Oh, that was fun. If I didn't know what you were talking about, I'd wonder what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> well, you know what we're talking about today. On today's show, you're going to learn whether silicone can build up on your skin if you really need three kinds of conditioner, <laughs> uh, whether sodium PCA has any great anti-aging effects, and if you can get addicted to skin lotion. Oh, my. But first, I have to tell you, this new car of mine, oh, this thing is great. I love it. So wait, wait, wait. wait so did, last week, yeah, you were uh, just yeah, on yeah. the cusp of, of getting a new car. Yeah, you know, and I was fretting about it. You know, I don't really like change, and my car works. Right, you don't like fine. spending money is what you don't like. but You know, you got to spend your money on All something, right. right? Yes. Yeah, but, yeah, so, so I, and, and I didn't really need a car, but, so, but, you know, now we got the new thing, and. This thing is great. First of all, do you know, like you can pl- your, plug your phone right into your car. Like you get in your car and your car knows you have a phone. Okay, you have to plug it in though? What do you mean? No, no, you just, it, it like knows that your phone's in oh, your Oh yeah, pocket. welcome to, you uh, know, the year 2016, yeah. Wait, you know what else? Like when you back up, there's like a camera, like you can see what's behind you. I mean, this is amazing. I, wh- when did cars get like this? About 10 years ago. <laughs> Wow. Well, I'm all excited about the new car. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. All right. uh, Shall we get on to uh, some of the beauty science stories? Yeah, I'll take the first story. Uh, I found an article that explains the difference between razors for men and women. I mean, this sounds just like the kind of question we would answer on the show. Uh, Absolutely. You know, because is, is, you know, are there differences between those? Because women's razors tend to be more expensive. What's the deal? Well, according to their research, there are differences in the quality of razor blades between brands. But within a brand, there's no functional difference between the blades used for men's products and women's products. And as proof of this, they pointed to a press release issued by Gillette a few years ago in, in which Gillette said... The blades used in products for, quote, both genders are both using the same blade technology. Ah. Now, that doesn't mean there are no differences overall. You know, women, sure. you know, women tend, to share a, <laughs> share, tend to shave a much larger surface area than men. In fact, it's about 18 times greater, according to, to wow. some estimates. So women's razors tend to have um, larger, more rounded head pieces, which means more plastic. So there is some added expense there. Okay. Also, women tend to shave longer hairs than men do. In most cases, beard hair is very short. Ah. And so um, the razors have to be designed with these guide bars that align the hairs so, they, uh, so it provides a better cut. Men's razors don't have those. 
So you're suggesting if you've if you've gone a few days without shaving as a man, it might be better to use a female razor because it'll cut better. That is not exactly what I'm saying, but it does make sense. <laughs> I, I'll go with you on that yeah. one. All right. I might have to try that. <laughs> um, and then finally, some women's razors include lubricating ingredients, again, you know, because of the larger, larger surface area that they're shaving. So, you know, these things can all add up to a price that's higher, even though the blade itself is the same. Uh, so I guess the bottom line is that in, in some cases, a higher price may be justified, but if you're just comparing the most basic model of men and women's razors, there's probably not that much of a difference. So I'll put a link in the show notes where you can read the, whole, the, the rest of the discussion. By the way, I also learned that there are a ton of scientists working on this. Gillette has, at one facility, Gillette has 100 PhDs working on shaving products. Can you imagine? Really? Can you imagine what? that? Well, I mean, what has changed in shaving in the last 30 years? I mean, go ask these 100 PhDs. I don't know. Well, well in, the next, in the next 50 years, I'm sure it's going to be amazing, right? I imagine the world of the future with shaving instead of using razors you have little nano robots oh, on your face just clipping love away the nanobots. yeah there you go <laughs> all right speaking of uh cutting edge research uh, you know how i love those uh, research studies where people look at pictures and they come to some conclusion <laughs> about it well here's a story uh, which looked at uh, whether pleasant smells can increase facial attractiveness hmm. um this research is published uh, out of uh, the Monell Chemical Census Center, sure. which they suggested that perfumes and scented products can actually alter how people perceive you. Okay. Now, now, previous research had shown that you could change the perception of facial attractiveness by using pleasant and unpleasant odors. But scientists didn't know whether they, that was actually just changing the visual perception or it was just some sort of emotional response, okay. right? So this study, this, this amazing, <laughs> amazingly <laughs> solid study, <laughs> they had 18 young adults <laughs> evaluate the attractiveness of uh, eight female faces. And the images varied in terms of their natural aging features like lines and wrinkles and that sort of thing. So there was obvious age differences. So while evaluating the images, the subjects were exposed to different odors. Uh, one was pleasant, uh, a pleasant rose oil, mm -hmm. and one was unpleasant, a, an unpleasant fish oil. Now, uh, they, had to, they asked people to rate the odor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in case there was somebody out there who really liked fish oil <laughs> and hated roses, right, sure. I guess that wouldn't screw things up, right? So then the subjects had to rate the age of the face in the photo, the attractiveness uh, of the person, and the pleasantness of the odor they were smelling. Okay. And the result was that the pleasant odor directly influenced the rating of facial attractiveness, which to the researchers suggested that odor and visual cues independently influenced the judgments of the subjects. It wasn't exactly clear how, but <laughs> hmm. that's what they said. Hmm. Now, one of the downsides that they found from using this uh, research was that using pleasant odors uh, is like visual age cues were more strongly influenced. So, so when you smelled something pleasant, you thought somebody who was old looked older than they were, <laughs> and someone who was young tended to look younger than their real age. And when they had the unpleasant odor, people were better at guessing the age of the photo. But wait, isn't... What? Then you should wear 
something stinky so people think you look younger than you really are if you're older. Is that right? If you're older, yeah, the older you are, the worse the you more should stinky smell. you should smell. <laughs> Unless you're like a teenager and you want to get into a bar. <laughs> you want to seem like you're 21. Which, by the way, we are not back. advocating. <laughs> we are not. Well, this is a, a worldwide show, Randy, and so not everybody has the 21-year-old restriction on getting it. Yes, but the law enforcement agencies that will be coming after us are in the same country as we are. <laughs> That is a that is so true. <laughs> hey, what what story do we got? Next? Well, here's a, here's another story about beauty, uh, and you know we have often heard that how you age, regardless of how you smell, uh, it's determined by your genes. But there's new research uh, that's discovered exactly which genes are responsible for specific aspects of aging. So I don't think we've had this specificity before. Now this comes to us from the fine folks at Procter and Gamble. And they researched how changes in gene expression affect the appearance and quality of women's skin as they age. Most interestingly, they looked at women who look extremely young for their age and found that they share some unique genetic characteristics. So they found that these women have this, what they call a unique skin fingerprint that's driven by about 2,000 different genes. Now, we, we all have this, these same 2,000 genes, but the degree to which they're expressed is what keeps these women looking younger later in life. And the researchers believe that there are you know, a bunch of key biological functions these genes control, including um, the glue that holds skin cells together, uh, the formation of the moisture barrier in skin, antioxidant production. So these are all things that you could see how it could, you could contribute to the uh, an aged appearance of skin. So, you know, in the far-flung future, if we learn to control gene expression reliably, this research could really impact anti-aging. I think in the meantime, at least it may help us improve some of our compensating treatments like, you know, better use of antioxidants. Yeah. I think one of the things that this points out, though, is how how our technology is not really that advanced. And you see some companies trying to sell you uh, skin products that are directly related to yeah, your genes. Yeah, DNA so repair or whatever. We can't, yeah. you know, those don't work that yeah. way. Yeah, we, we have no, you know, we know how to sequence genes and we can identify genes, but we have no idea how the implications on how that's going to make your skin look. Right, you know? right. Yeah, so, so that the marketing is way ahead of the technology. <laughs> that's as a usual. good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's a here's a fun story that I saw. Um, there was an article on New Beauty in which uh, an author, uh, Courtney Leva, she experimented with a skin treatment over the course of a week and then reported on how it went. Now, I applaud her for making the attempt, but <laughs> I got to tell you, in terms of scientific rigor, this <laughs> is a real head scratcher. So the beauty treatment was uh, she was trying liquid chlorophyll. Hmm. You know, according to the purveyors of this product, see, this is when people talk about us being out of touch with trends. <laughs> this is clearly one I, of those I've trends. never heard I of using heard chlorophyll, of chlorophyll. Yeah. topically. So what does it do? Well, according to the purveyors of this product, no, it's it's not topica topically, oh. right? Uh, using liquid chlorophyll is supposed to oxygenate and refresh your skin. <laughs> so this is, you're, you're ingesting okay. the chlorophyll. And so for seven days... She added chlorophyll to her water. So liquid drops of liquid chlorophyll okay. she added to her water. And she found the liquid chlorophyll, she found it at a, a health food sure. shop. Which, to me, that's, that, that seems like a problem right away. Because how do you even know that you're getting chlorophyll? Right. Uh, well, Couldn't it just be like green 
bad taste it, in water? It's possible, yeah. Right. I mean, that's the problem with the uh, – in the United States, the, the food supplement industry, this would be a food supplement – they're barely regulated, right. and you have no guarantee that what you're buying is is what they say it is. So, anyway, let's assume that it was. Okay, just for the sake of discussion, all right. <laughs> she she drank the chlorophyll and, and didn't see any immediate improvements to her skin. So Now, that wasn't surprising. Right. It also wasn't surprising that she said that uh, this product tasted awful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Then she, so she goes through seven days, right? So there was no effect after two days. Then there was no effect after three days, then four days, then five days, even a week, okay. right? So no effect. So if you tried something for a week and then you saw no difference, what would your conclusion be? Oh, it just must take longer. <laughs> exactly. That's what she said. She's like, well, I just guess I'll have to try it for another two weeks. <laughs> now, I wonder how long is it before you try something and you just say like, ah, this doesn't work. <laughs> Well, but I don't know if that's you're asking rhetorically if you really want an answer, but it depends on what it is. It does take a few weeks for your skin cells to recycle. So if you're doing something at the, that affects the basal, metas, basal metabolism of your skin, it could take a couple of weeks to have an effect. If, it, if you're doing something different, maybe it's a couple of days worth. So it depends on what the mechanism is. Yeah, it's true. But, you know, you... You eat garlic, and then the next morning you can smell it on your feet. <laughs> hey, am I propagating a myth here? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm not going to smell your feet to find out. <laughs> no. Well, I, I don't think there is any uh, scientific evidence that ingesting chlorophyll is going to have much improvement on your skin. All right. Well, thank you for busting that myth. You didn't really do anything. <laughs> Well, I, I applaud the folks over at New Beauty for at least attempting to bring some scientific rigor to their You just studies. rolled your eyes. I saw you roll your eyes just right there. Hey, you know, we haven't mentioned Refinery29 in a while. What, what, did your little love fest with them break up or something? No, I just haven't seen anything worthy of mention. But I did see uh, uh, this article. Uh, let me ask you, what do these three things have in common? Mongogo, Moringa, and Paramela. Uh, they all come out of Ethiopia. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think so. No, they do not come from Ethiopia, so you're wrong. Uh, but they are all exotic natural oils that have found their way into beauty products. And we, we talked about the first two in previous shows, but I just read about this new one, Paramela. So it doesn't come from Ethiopia. It comes from... You know, uh, that's actually my full name, Paramela. You yeah, should have but... guessed you were going to do that, but... Uh, <laughs> So this thing comes from an evergreen uh, shrub, I guess, that's native to Argentina, and it's noteworthy because it can reportedly help soothe rosacea. Now the good news is that these benefits were established in a research study that was published in Cosmetics and Toiletries, one of the premier trade journals of our industry. Sure, sure. We used to write right. for them. Um, the bad news is this particular research article is crap. <laughs> now, I, I think this must be one of these vendor-sponsored studies because it wasn't very well designed. First of all, there was no control whatsoever. They just uh. put the product on people's faces. And, <laughs> well, first of all, let me tell you, they tested it on 10 people. <laughs> so <laughs> that's their... Not, not even 18? Not even 18. <laughs> 10 people. Uh, but they put the, the oil in an emulsion tested it on these 10 people, and they just rated the panelists' skin before and after treatment. And they found that people had less redness and less transepidermal water loss after using the product. Now, what does this mean? Well, 
nothing really. I mean, you, you can't tell <laughs> if the people just got better over time. Maybe the weather changed. Right. I mean, you don't know what caused before and after. Maybe just the emulsion itself. You know, maybe they put it into a yeah. skin lotion with petrolatum, which could have some of these benefits. So uh, maybe any lotion could have this kind of effect. It wasn't compared to anything. So there's no reason whatsoever to believe that this oil, this paramela oil, is anything special. Now, the reason I'm so cranky about this is, uh, you know, it's really important to read the research when you're looking at products that use these fancy exotic ingredients because they're probably going to ask you to spend more money on the product. And right. even if, like in this case, they point to a scientific study that says, hey, it really reduces redness for rosacea, if you haven't actually read the research or had somebody like us read the research and digest it for you, you're going to be very easily tricked into spending more money on something that, that just may not be worth it. Yeah, that uh, sounds like the beauty industry. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> All right, are you ready for some last uh, really cool technology? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is a story I saw about shampoo bottles. Now, since so many people are working on all the really big problems of the world, it's, it's nice to know that we still have people working on some of the more <laughs> mundane problems. Right? Now, in this case, researchers at Ohio State University, or the Ohio State University, as they say in the football games, They've come up with a solution to a problem that has bothered people for decades, that leaving the last few drops of your product uh, in your shampoo, body wash, or skincare sure, bottle, yeah. right? They were inspired by the lotus leaf, and so they created this slippery surface in which uh, surfactants in personal care products like shampoos, it doesn't stick mm -hmm. to it. Now, so so if you pour, you see the video there, you just pour the shampoo on there, it, it just right. slips right yeah. off. In, a, in a, like a little blob. So the technology involved creating a surface that had tiny pockets of air, and then they adhered that, uh, that surface to the polypropylene plastic bottle using some tiny silicate particles. Hmm. Sounded kind of complicated, but anyway, the shampoo just slips right out. So we'll, we'll link the video there. Unfortunately, <laughs> they said... Wait, you actually think our audience has time to go watch a video of a shampoo bottle being emptied out completely? Well, no, it's, it's not even a whole bottle. It's just a little blob of shampoo on a little plastic. All thing. right, people, go, <laughs> go watch the video. No, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, unfortunately, they said that over time, the effect sort of wore off. <laughs> so it doesn't seem... Eh, stability, no, I don't, whatever. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I just wonder, like, why don't they just tip the bottle upside down? Is this really a well, problem a that you needs still have to tip the bottle upside down. This is not anti-gravity shampoo that just lifts itself out of the bottle. No, no, don't. Oh, you don't mean store you it just, in, in an inverted Yeah, don't you just position, store your bottle I upside yeah, down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay. I mean, this, this story did remind me of the, the solution that I had to this problem. I'm afraid to ask. Um, well, no, I'd get, when I was in college, you know, I'd get down to about half a bottle of shampoo. Mm -hmm. I would fill it back up with water, mm -hmm. sprinkle some salt in there, and shake it up, and then I had a whole new bottle of shampoo. Okay. You, you realize this is exactly the type of thing people should not do because it dilutes the <laughs> preservative system. So that 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 is true. It's a horrible <laughs> idea. Not to mention it cuts the cleansing power. Now maybe you know in some cases. In fact, it could also screw up the stability of any conditioning agents within a shampoo. What the hell are you even talking about? <laughs> hey man, I was in college. I barely showered. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think it's time that we move on to this week's cosmetic questions. All right. Fascinating. Here's the first one. It comes to us from Dev. 
Hello, Beauty Brains. My name is Dev, and I have a question about conditioners. Is it absolutely necessary to use a leave-in conditioner, a rinse-off conditioner, and a deep conditioner? It seems a bit excessive. A normal wash day for me takes about two hours, and it's tedious. I'm always looking for ways to cut corners and cut time. So recently, I've just been washing my hair, applying a regular rinse out conditioner as a leave-in and going about my day. I don't rinse out the conditioner. I just wash my hair the next time I wash my hair, which is about once every week. And I repeat this process. I don't do deep conditioners and I don't do leave-in conditioners. So my question to you is, am I damaging my hair? And is it really necessary to use deep conditioners, leave-in conditioners, and rinse-out conditioners. Thank you so much for having this amazing podcast. You guys are the absolute best. I love the show. Keep doing what you do. Bye-bye. No, Dev, don't be silly. You, you don't have to use a leave-in and a daily rinse-out and a deep conditioner. But you do need to use a pre-wash treatment, a rinse-out conditioner, a deep repair <laughs> restructurizer, a dry damaged mask, a hot oil treatment, and a leave-in detangler every single day. <laughs> and if you're washing your clothes in the shower, a fabric softener. <laughs> now, all right, you have to keep in mind that a lot of these conditioners or products, they just overlap. And the only reason they even exist is because the marketing people want to sell more products, right? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I wonder. And I guess I, I can't think about it naively because we've been in the industry so long. But do people really think just because companies tell you that you need to use all these products that, well, you, that you must have to then? I mean, there must be a reason for all these. The reason is they want to have more SKUs, more stock keeping units on the shelf. Yeah, but I really, I think people do believe that. I mean, they have no way of knowing, well, right? They do now. They can listen I, to us. I mean, they like people believe that like uh, the volumizing or the extra body is, that there's something different, different there. Yeah, right? that's a good point. They, well, they have no way of knowing this. Well, right? anyway, uh, really, all these different conditioner forms deliver the same primary benefits. You know, maybe to different degrees. Um, right. But really, they just offer different ways to provide that benefit. So uh, to give you a little context, let, let's talk about how conditioners work. All right. Well, most conditioners work by lubricating the hair to smooth the cuticle. Now, that, that's the outer layer of the hair, which consists of these overlapping scales, that, and we call these cuticles. Yeah. These cuticles, they're, they're like shingles on a roof. You can imagine mm -hmm. that, like on your house, and they protect what's beneath. As your hair is damaged from washing and drying and combing and brushing and perming and coloring or whatever, yeah. the cuticles layer starts to wear away. And then when that happens, you know, hair is not as shiny and it's more easily broken and it doesn't feel as well. Yeah, you've got about five to ten layers of those cuticles and, you know, they don't, right. they don't grow back. Once the hair is grown out, you, you're done. So if you break through those five to ten layers, then the hair is going to break off. Yeah. So by smoothing these cuticles you can kind of prolong the, the, the breakage or, you know, prolong how long it takes for them to break. So uh, conditioners smooth these down and that makes the hair, you know, makes it feel softer, makes it look shinier. And as I said, most importantly, it reduces the breakage from brushing and combing. Now that's an essential function of almost all, you know, leave-ins, rinse-outs, deep conditioners, masks, whatever. Um, just because something's called a, a deep conditioner or a mask, and they tell you to leave it in your hair for three to five minutes or whatever, they don't really do anything different. It really performs the same way. 
They can deliver lubrication using different types of ingredients, but the basic function on the outside of your hair is the same. Yeah, I mean, sometimes those intensive conditioners and regular conditioners aren't even formulated. We, we have seen right? exact same formulas labeled as deep conditioner and rinse out conditioner. That's true. Exactly. Now, some conditioners can work on the inside. So there are a few ingredients that have been proven to penetrate the hair and that can give some hair strength mm-hmm. from the inside, sure. right? Panthenol is one of those ingredients that is, is claimed to see that, although you rarely see that in high enough levels to make a yeah. difference. Coconut oil is another ingredient that can penetrate. Again, the level has to be high, and it has to be left on the hair for hours to allow it to penetrate and then waterproof your hair from the inside. Yeah, it's it's critical to understand how these things work because, you know, putting coconut oil in your hair for, you know, first of all, putting it in a regular conditioner where it's used at low levels and it's rinsed out after a minute or two, it's going to do nothing. Uh, You've got to have quite a bit on there, and it's got to stay on your hair because it takes quite a bit of time for it to penetrate. So just because something has an ingredient in it doesn't mean you're going to necessarily get that benefit. But to your point, Perry, yes, some conditioners can actually work differently. Um, There are also some specialty products that can have some added conditioning benefits. Um, If you look at, you know, split-end mending products, most of those are just hype. They're traditional conditioners. But there are a couple of technologies that can actually bind splits back together and keep them that way through several washings. We've written about that a couple of times. I'll put some links in the show notes so you can review those. Well, and most color protecting products, they're all hype as well, right? We have seen a few technologies that can lock a color into hair. Um, I remember the old Tresemme color revitalized product. That was, uh, uh, was your discovery, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the, the ones that actually do anything are few and far between. True. Uh, you know, Dev also asked about uh, using a rinse out as a leave-in product, uh, and that seemed to work well for her. In many cases, that's not a good idea. Um, that's because some ingredients are not intended for long-term contact with the skin. For example, cetrimonium chloride, which is a very popular conditioning ingredient, is limited to, I think, 0.2% in a leave-on product. Yep. That's what the CRI, CIR says. Uh, yeah. And it can be used at, at much higher levels than a rinse-out product. So I, I don't know what particular conditioner she's using. Uh, and it also depends on her particular sensitivity. But I, you, you can't right. just carte blanche, assume that it's okay to leave any rinse-out product you know, on, in contact with your skin for, I, I guess, like a week, she said. right? She only washes her hair once a week. Um, right. Now, if she's been doing this without any adverse effects, that again, this may be fine for her, but she may try a different rinse-out product that could find her skin reacting differently. Yeah, anything with a cationic surfactant. So if you see a word, some ammonium chloride yeah, or something It's more like likely that. to be irritating. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the bottom line is at the end of the day, it's really about your own personal choice and what makes your hair feel and look the way you want it. If you like your hair, you know, feeling after you layer on all these multiple conditioners, then nothing wrong with that. Uh, But it's also very unlikely that you're getting much additional benefit, and you're probably wasting a little bit of money. (laughs) Agreed. All right, our next question comes to us from Courtney, and she says, Is it possible for your skin to become dependent on lotion? In the winter, I get in the habit of putting it on every time I showered because my skin was very dry. I've kept it up in the warm weather, and I'm wondering if it's helping my skin, hurting it, or neither. Hey, this reminds me of that question about becoming too, uh, addicted to lip balm. <laughs> we got a book about that. <laughs> and in some, that's right. In some cases, what you do to the surface of skin, which is dead, it does affect the living cells below. 
But no, I mean, your body can't get physically addicted to lotion. No, no. Um, now, your skin does have different needs in different seasons. In the winter, your skin needs moisturizer because the humidity is low. You know, water evaporates from your skin more easily. In the summer, the humidity is typically higher, but exposure to sunlight can dry out your skin. So using a moisturizer in warm weather, it's not a bad idea either. Yeah, I mean, I suppose your skin can get addicted the same way that your lips get addicted to lip balm, where you just like the way your skin feels after you use a lotion, and it starts to wear off, and you just crave that psychologically. Yeah, but that's more of a psychological condition. Exactly. I mean, the bottom line is your skin won't get addicted to it, but you may also find that you don't need to use it the same amount uh, during different points in the year. You know, and if your skin feels dry feel free to use lotion. There you go. All right, our next question, does silicone build up on skin? RJ asks, uh, I've noticed that you've often touted silicones as excellent hair conditioners. However, you haven't talked much about the impact of silicones on skin, and more specifically the face. I assume they carry similar pros and cons to hair applications, the pros being excellent occlusive properties and the cons being potential buildup. Is this a correct assumption? Well, I've never seen anything to suggest that silicones build up on your skin. I mean, first of all, cleansers will do a good job of removing silicones. And, and even on hair, there's not much evidence of buildup. Remember uh, a few episodes ago, we talked to an expert in uh, the development of silicones for hair. Uh, and he said that's pretty much a myth that, the, that those aren't just washed off. So um, I, I do think there's more of a chance of it happening with hair because the surface area is so great. You know, if you, if you right. think that uh, each individual hair is tube-shaped and there are hundreds of thousands of those little tubes on your hair, um, I know we once figured out that if you could take each hair and cut it open and flatten it out, the hair from one person with average length hair would cover a small living room. You know, like a hundred right, right. square feet would be the surface area of all your hair laid out flat. Um, so if silicones do build up on hair, uh, the problem is going to be worse because of all that surface area you have to clean. Well, and by comparison, the surface area uh, of the average face is less than one square foot. Plus, it's a lot easier to scrub your face with a washcloth, uh, a sonic cleanser brush, uh, or whatever. You know, your face is just easier to clean. Yeah, it's, uh, again, if you do have a buildup problem, much easier just to remove it from your face. And then the other factor to consider is that, you know, unlike hair, your skin is constantly shedding its outer layers. So that shedding process will help slough off any product residue, even if it is there. So the bottom line is, no, you really don't need to worry about silicone buildup on your skin. So here's our last question for today. It comes from Ramsey, who asks, does anybody have any additional information on this ingredient, sodium PCA? I've been using this Twin Labs product for over 10 years but I believe it's been discontinued. I personally think it works great, but it's more of an aging prevention product as opposed to an aging reversing product. You know, I'm always surprised to find that sodium PCA is not more widely recognized. So it stands for perilidone carboxylic acid, and it's a component of the skin's own natural moisturizing factor. Uh, yeah, what we call the NMF. And if you analyze this NMF, you know, if you can extract this from, from skin, you'd see that it consists of about 40% amino acids, about 12% of the sodium PCA, 
another 12% of lactate, 8% of some sugars like glycerol and some things. There's urea in there and a bunch of other stuff. But the sodium PCA is really important because it's, it's one of these components that helps the skin hold on to moisture. Yeah, and you don't see it used all that frequently anymore, but in the 90s, it showed up in a lot of the anti-aging yeah. products, yeah. right? Um, it doesn't take the place of occlusive agents that lock moisture in the skin, but it is effective in helping the skin hold on to moisture. Yeah, I, I too am surprised why you don't see it more often. I mean, from what I remember reading, it's one of the most effective binding agents for moisture. So have to, it would be interesting to survey the market today and see who's still using it. So if you can find it, I, I think it's, a, it's an excellent ingredient to use. Now, regarding, you know, is it aging prevention versus aging reversing? I, I sort of agree because... When it's naturally in your skin, it is aging prevention in that sense. But if you're just applying it topically, I mean, it, it all really it's doing is moisturizing in that case. Right. It's a humectant. Yeah. 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 But so. but it well, yeah, it's it's a good ingredient. Yeah, I think you could still find it on the market somewhere, you know. But uh, like you said, it's it has not been a very popular ingredient in the last ten years or yeah, so. There you go. All right, well, Perry, we are out of time, so... Ah, oh, that's great, because I get to go use my new car. Hey, guess what in this new car? Like, at the top, you can open the roof. They, they like, have what, these in live in a cave? <laughs> Not anymore, my man. Uh, All right, next time we'll have uh, lots more questions and stories, right? Uh, hopefully fewer of them involving your car. But anyway, yes, so until next week, everybody, remember, be brainy about your beauty.